I'm sorry to bother you. I couldn't get the downstairs door open. I guess they sent me the upstairs key. I said, I guess they sent me the upstairs key. I'm sorry to wake you. That's quite all right. I was just listening to a podcast. A podcast? You mean the internet radio thing? That's right. I'm crazy about podcasts. Listen, you know those days when you get the mean reds? The mean reds? You mean like the blues? No, the blues are because you're getting fat or maybe it's raining too long. You're just sad, that's all. The mean reds are horrible. Suddenly you're, say, hating a film so much that you want the entire movie industry to die. Do you ever get that feeling? Uh, sure. Well, when I get it, the only thing that does any good is to jump onto the internet and record a movie review podcast. Calms me right down right away. Nothing bad can happen to you in a movie review podcast. I know, let's record one together and then have a whirlwind romance filled with kooky characters and racist stereotypes. Why not? 300, she's very generous. That by the week, the hour, or what? Okay, the party's over. Out. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, we've found a movie that epitomizes what we try to do here. Isn't that right, Steve? Oh, man. If we had to make, like, a pilot episode of this podcast, we could do it about this movie, because it's it's exactly the sort of thing we're talking about. That's right. A movie with a good reputation. Yeah. That... Maybe it shouldn't have, ever. <laughs> Just putting it out there early on, it might not, might not be as good as That's its reputation right. suggests. It's like opening a big pink box that has delicious cake written on the outside, <laughs> and inside is just human excrement. Oh. Runny human excrement that just uh. starts spilling out of the box and all over you, and you're like, I don't like this! And you're like, how can there be this much of it in the box? <laughs> yes, this is a portal to some sort of oh. excrement dimension! Oh my god! What have I done? Yeah, it's exactly Damn like you, that. pink box of lies! <laughs> I'll get you for this, Blake Edwards! <laughs> So, what movie did we just compare to a huge runny box of excrement? Well, we're we are reviewing Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is, of course, the celebrated documentary about the elaborate morning meals that '80s pop star Tiffany would have for her crew (laughs) and and fans that were lucky enough to join her. It's really it's a really wonderful Mm. film. I like dipping pop tarts into icing and eating them. I'm Tiffany. I like eating a Cinnabon, staring vaguely, vaguely at the ceiling while listening to my own music. Don't you love my the pol- mall? Yeah, I'm all at the mall. Yeah, you small food. Yeah. I'll have a Wetzel's pretzel sandwich. That's when you take no. two Wetzel's pretzels. <laughs> no, uh, sadly, I just made that movie up. I wish. Oh, it, darn. I, I wish that movie was real. Well, and I wish is this a review it. of the actual breakfast at Tiffany's? Because I thought the ru- the eggs were a little runny. It's not great. I mean, I don't know why they can't just stick to jewelry. Well, I mean, yeah. you know. Also, I, I think, just like all of their diamonds, that their breakfasts are blood breakfasts. <laughs> <laughs> How many South Africans had to die for these eggs? We don't care. Eat them. <laughs> They're $85 an egg. Most people don't that's... realize if you crack a Fabergé egg, there is a yolk in there. I mean, that's right. Yeah. It's filled with rich person spunk. Uh... <laughs> anyway. Okay, we need. <laughs> We're doing that thing again where we spin our wheels because we don't want to actually yeah, address but now the it, film. It's just vileness that's coming out of us this time. 
That's right, Breakfast Intimities, the the romantic comedy, because despite the fact that we've mentioned diarrhea, (laughs) spunk, and blood diamonds in the opening of this episode, it's our Valentine's Day episode, Steve. Well, if it was a modern romantic comedy, it might have one or more of those elements, but... uh... (laughs) I'd love to see that movie. It's like Breakfast (sighs) Tiffany's, but with more semen jokes, you know. (laughs) Oh, I get it. I can see it just perfectly. Oh, and then they made uh, There's Something About Mary. That's yeah. practically the same movie, right? <laughs> the Farrelly brothers, they walked out of their screening of Breakfast at Tiffany's and they both had the exact same idea at the exact same time. More, More cum spunk. jokes. That's what it means. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Breakfast at Tiffany's, the romantic comedy that's neither. <laughs> and now... End of review. Steve's going to share some trivia with us before we get started. Steve, do you have any trivia about this movie before we get started? Yeah, I do. I have two bits. One of them is fairly well-known, and the other is is not quite as well-known, but I think is interesting. Um, The first is, uh, as a lot of people who know a little bit about film history or or specifically are interested in this movie know, um, even though it became arguably her most iconic role, Audrey Hepburn was not... Uh, Truman Capote's preferred choice. Uh, that was going to be in my part. Yeah. Would you? Would you want me to save it and let you talk yeah. about? Yeah. Okay. Can you save it so I can yeah. say the words? You can say Please. the words. Yes. Thank of course. You. Of course, my sweet thing. <laughs> um, well, I'll then, it's the loving Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> let me just let me jump to my second piece of trivia then, which is that there <laughs> there there is a scene in the movie that I'm sure we'll we'll touch on when we go through the plot where uh, Holly is making a salad in her apartment and it seems apropos of nothing but the reason that salad scene is there is because during production the director uh went out to to eat with mickey rooney who plays a part in the movie and and mickey rooney was a total dick to the waiter who was preparing his salad at this posh hollywood restaurant he was what a surprise mickey rooney was a dick i know who would have thought uh, they say you can tell a lot about someone by the way they treat the wait staff at a restaurant. Um, mm-hmm. And Mickey Rooney was apparently, because he's such a level-headed, you know, even-tempered, compassionate, nice sort of guy, he didn't like the way the waiter was preparing his salad, so uh-huh. he pushed the waiter aside and demonstrated the right way to toss a salad. And Blake Edwards thought this was so great that he put a salad-tossing scene in the movie and had Holly go lightly prepare a salad uh, and we see her like pouring on the oil and pouring in the vinegar and tossing it with the tongs and apparently that's how Mickey Rooney did it and that's how the waiter was not doing it so we can thank the uh, dickishness of Mickey Rooney for the inclusion of this ultimately pointless pointless scene in in the movie film So there you go. A a, a valuable insight, I think, into the creative process that underlies this film. I want to do Who Made It Now because I don't, I don't, I want to get this done. But, but what about the, what about the trivia that you stole from me? I'm, that's coming up in the Who Made It's. Okay. Jeez Louise. Do we always have to fight on Valentine's Day? I'm sorry. I'm, you know, it's just, it's the whole Valentine's thing. There's just all this pressure that they put on you. Like you're supposed to act a certain way. Yeah, and well, like, you're not acting that way, and you're hurting my feelings. Well, oh, well, okay, I'm sorry. All Can right, we just fine. go home, then? Yeah, Can just, we just go home? Oh, I don't yeah, need to great. go out. I guess, I, fine, <laughs> fine. You spent you, you spent all that time getting ready, and now we're just going to go home. Well, you know what? You know I don't like nuts and chews. This whole <sighs> box is filled with nuts and chews. You like nuts and chews. I don't. Maybe that's because I, maybe I bought the things that I want because I know you're going to have two pieces out of it, and then it's just going <laughs> to sit there on that shelf. 
We'll be right back to end of a marriage, interrupted by this movie review. <laughs> it's fun to pretend to be married and hating each other, isn't it? And hey, everybody here at Late Seating would like to remind you, if you have a loved one, hug them. If you don't, burn with rage. <laughs> Remember, pretending to hate people is fun. Actually hating people is not. No. All right. The yes. Who made it? You let's, ready? Let's do it. It was directed by Blake Edwards. He directed lots of movies, and maybe two of them were good. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, that is the truth, too. That is the harsh truth. He made the Pink Panther movies. Yes. A lot of them. And he made Victor Victoria, and he made a bunch of other stuff. He directed ten, right? Ah, yes, he did. Ten and the Man Who Loved Women, and he just basically, it was diminishing returns with old Blake. (laughs) His only movie before this was Operation Petticoat. That was about the submarine with women's on it, I think. <laughs> Operation Petticoat. <laughs> it's produced by Martin Juro and Richard Shepard. Screenplay by George Axelrod. Hey, do you recognize that name, Steve? It sounds familiar. He also adapted The Manchurian Candidate. <gasps> Old George. Yeah, George. You Boy, you switched gears hard. <laughs> <laughs> I want to try something different. I want something light and frothy. Well, God, I wish pace. there was a... A scene where someone sticks a gun to it. Someone sticks a gun to someone's head and strawberry preserves splatter all over. That's how this movie should have ended. Oh, yeah. Evil Angela Lansbury. That's what this movie needed. Oh, yeah. She should have been uh, Mrs. 2E or whatever. Oh, yeah. There you go. You're not getting away from me that easily. (laughs) (laughs) See how easy it would have been to rewrite this movie and make it so much Uh better? Okay. Based on Breakfast at Tiffany's by Truman Capote, which was a short story that bears little to no resemblance to this film. <laughs> I mean, it kind of it was like the skeleton is about this guy who was probably gay, who just basically observed this woman's life, and then she disappeared, and he went, oh, that was interesting, and it's just a character study. There was no plot, really. <sighs> Starring Audrey Hepburn as Audrey Hepburn. I'm sorry. Audrey Hepburn <laughs> as Holly Golightly, the girl from Texas. Who yep, she's from Texas. Lear- learned French to speak English. That's what they said, right? Yep, that's the attempt at an explanation. Okay. The woman who in the movie says, I'm fat, even though she's so fucking thin you could read through her. <laughs> <laughs> You know why she worked with so many starving children later on in her career? She was jealous. (laughs) Oh, look how plump they are. Audrey, Jesus. (laughs) What? Oh, if I could only manage that kind of skin tone. That kind of rippling muscle. Okay, we're going to move you away from the children. (laughs) Sorry about that, kids. We're turned, this movie made us monsters, Steve. We're monsters now. We got that flour and water coming up. Just hold tight. George Pappard as Hannibal. Oh. Sorry, as Paul Varjak. Um, we know George Pappard mostly as Hannibal. Yes. I mean, he did he do anything else really noteworthy? I don't know. Uh, he, I think he was probably one of those guys that would, you know, turn up in things on TV. On TV. He would be like a guest yeah. star, but until he got the A-team, he wasn't really anything noteworthy. Yeah. He'd, you'd, he'd, he'd pop up on TV and say something like, you're barking up the wrong tree, Kojak, or <laughs> you're barking up the wrong tree, Columbo, or you're barking up the wrong tree, McLeod. Yeah. Something along yeah, those lines, Yeah, he was right? your barking up the wrong tree, go-to guy. 
Patricia Neal as Mrs. Emily Eustace 2E Phelanson. Now, she's just called 2E in the movie, right? Yeah. Buddy Ebsen, who I didn't even know was in this movie. Oh, poor Buddy. As Doc Golightly. Poor Buddy, fuck him. No, I mean not Buddy Epson, I mean this character. Yeah. Uh, oh, Buddy yeah, Epson Doc is not cool, yeah. As Doc Golightly. Martin Balsam as O.J. Berman. Now, you would remember him as dude that gets stabbed down the stairs and then um, blowed into a trunk and dumped in the swamp <laughs> that happens to be in the desert in Psycho, Yep. which is a movie we'll review eventually. And he was also the jury foreman in 12 Angry Men. And he was also in The Taking of Pelham 123, which is a movie we should probably review at some point. Yeah, he had quite a nice career for himself there. We have, yeah, he, he was, yeah. He was a guy hey, who popped up in a lot of stuff. You saw him in a lot of stuff. Mickey Rooney. <sighs> yep. That's as far as I fucking want to go. I you, don't want to. But it's, it's, I mean, just for posterity, <sighs> I think we have to say. Mickey Rooney as I.Y. Yunioshi. Mm-hmm. Mickey Rooney is playing... I don't even want to say he's playing a Japanese man. Mickey Rooney is playing a cartoon character, yeah. basically. Mickey, they, they took a look at the propaganda posters during World War II and say that's what a Japanese person's like, right? Yeah. My my yeah. my headcanon for this movie is that Mr. Yunioshi is the result of one of those propaganda posters being brought to life by a witch's spell. Actually, what it is is, is that the attitudes of a couple of dudes... In, in 1961, we're like, oh, fuck, Japanese people, who cares? <laughs> Japanese people are inherently funny, right? <laughs> Why get an actual person to play an actual character when we can change the character into a fucking stereotype and have him be played by a white guy for no apparent reason at all whatsoever? <laughs> and it's such an important character, too. You can't imagine the film without this character. I know. It's, just... it's not like you could easily excise him completely out of the movie and you wouldn't miss him at all, right? It's not like that at all. It's preposterous. Pull that thread and the whole movie falls apart. Yeah, exactly. He's the glue that holds it together. Alan Reed is Sally Tomato. Jose Luis de Villalonga as Jose de Silva Pereira. I don't... Didn't... I, none of these people went and did anything else. <laughs> Stanley Adams as Rutherford Rusty Trawler. Jonathan MacGyver as, hey. t- as Tiffany's salesman. John MacGyver, you will recognize. He's a character actor who has been around and around and oh, around and around. He's been in a ton of stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dorothy Whitney as Mag Wildwood. Claude, Claude Stroud as Sid Arbuck. Orangey as the cat. Aww. My own, the only character I liked in he, the movie. He's <laughs> who I was rooting for. <laughs> Beverly Powers as the stripper, Elvia Allman as the librarian. Music by Henry Mancini. Henry Mancini pretty much scored everything between 1960 and... <laughs> I would have to say his career ended in the 70s, right? Yeah, yeah. Did he do a whole lot in the 80s? Oh, I don't know. Maybe one or two things, but nothing that I can think of mm-hmm. of, of note. Cinematography by France F. Planner, but there is someone who went uncredited, and that's Philip H. Lathrop. Why did he go uncredited? Maybe he didn't like want his name on the movie, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Please don't make me do this. Now, uh, I forgot to bring up the trivia that you made me forget because I thought you brought it up already regarding Audrey Hepburn. I'm sorry. God damn it. I'm, look, let's, just not, let's not start this fight again. Please, not on, not on Valentine's Day week. I should have had that affair. Anyway, <gasps> so... <laughs> 
Audrey Hepburn was not the author's choice for this movie. The author's choice, now we're talking about the author of the short story, yeah. Truman Capote. He said, I want Marilyn Monroe to do it. And they were like, okay, yeah, sure. The thumbs up, guy. Thank you for letting us adapt. Here's all your money. Okay, <laughs> but just so long as you promise that it's going to be Marilyn Monroe. Yes, we promise. They didn't do it. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe couldn't writer. do it. <laughs> what? Yeah, fuck you, writer. Fuck you, writer. You got your money. Piss off. Now, he said they stabbed me in the back and they stabbed me in the front and they stabbed me on the side. I don't know why he was upset about that and not about the fact that they butchered his story. Yeah. But they eventually got Audrey Hepburn. Now, I tried to picture this movie with Marilyn Monroe, and the movie makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. It's just, I can picture her playing this part. Uh, it doesn't improve the character at all. No. But I can see her playing that part. The role is better. more, yeah, the role is more naturally suited to yeah. Marilyn Monroe's typical type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They uh, they offered it to Shirley MacLaine, but I think she turned it down. And I think it was too similar to her character in The Apartment. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, I'm sorry. I, that came late. Now I've got to come out of the people who star and I go back down to the schlubs who made it. <laughs> it was edited by Howard Smith, production company, Juro Shepard, distributed by Paramount Pictures. It was released on October 5th, 1961. Oh, shit, Steve, I just remembered something. What? I didn't get a movie. <laughs> I, I forgot my recommendation at the end of the oh, thing because I was so angry and crying at the end of this You'll that I forgot to, it. You just have to fly by the seat of your pants like we did last time. You have to remember when I review something I really hate, I just don't want to look at another movie in the face again. It's <laughs> like, fuck it. How can I face these films I love after watching this? Don't worry. Through the magic of editing, I will have a movie at the end of this movie, that movie review. <laughs> Yay. Uh, running time, 114 minutes, budget 2.5 million, box office 14 million. Yeah. Which is why we saw all of those Breakfast at Tiffany's sequels. <laughs> you mean their divorce? <laughs> Lunch at Tiffany's. L- divorce at Tiffany's divorce should have been the Tiffany's. next one. Supper divorce at, at Tiffany's. Tiffany's. Then they did the... the children missed their father at Tiffany's. <laughs> they went back and started doing prequels, brunch at Tiffany's. Daddy's remarried and mom's an addict at Tiffany's. <laughs> why does everything happen at Tiffany's? We won't let you meet your grandparents at Tiffany's. <laughs> We're not coming to your funeral at Tiffany's. <laughs> All right, Steve. Yes, yes, man. Let's go back to the 1960s, shall we? Oh, I, I guess we have to. We have to. Come on, climb into some of the awesome cabs they had back That's then. True. Oh, they, they all had tail fins? Come on. Uh-huh. Let's drive down the nearly completely deserted streets. <laughs> I was like, what happened in New York? Is it the post-apocalypse? It's Vanilla Sky. (laughs) And let's let's try to act like, for the children, Steve, let's try to act like we still care about each other. What? Let's let's at least try to be civil with each other. Fine. Okay. And let's go into the movie of breakfast at tiffany's steve Mm -hmm. take it away okay so um audrey hepburn gets out of a cab (laughs) on fifth avenue Uh as she walks up to the window at tiffany's Mm -hmm. and she eats breakfast stop it (laughs) and that's why it's called breakfast at tiffany's oh is that why it's called breakfast at tiffany's and it's 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 early in the morning and she's wearing like an evening dress and pearls and her hair is all done up she's obviously like been to a glitzy party Uh and she's and she eats breakfast while gazing into the the window at tiffany's and then she kind of walks home and she gets back to her apartment and there's this guy waiting for her 
who yeah. follows her in. And, mm-hmm. and of course, she doesn't have her key. So to get in, she has to buzz one of the other apartments in the building. Uh-huh. And she and the, the and the resident of the apartment that she buzzes is is the Mickey Rooney guy who is <laughs> the Mickey Rooney guy who is a thing that okay, shouldn't be. Okay, for those people who don't know anything about this movie, who don't know who Mickey Rooney is, who don't know, have never seen it, and probably will never see it after our review. Yeah. Let me put it to you this way: Mickey Rooney is a short white guy playing an Asian man. Now you say, oh, well, that's not so bad. So he just kind of squinted his eyes a little bit. No. Oh, no. They put prosthetics to make his eyes give him the eye folds. He wears a black wig that's pushed back. He wears big black tojo glasses. Yeah. And buck teeth. And buck teeth that he can barely talk around. And then he talk like this. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he dresses in stereotypical Japanese garb. And his and he's his, a photographer. His apartment is, yeah, and his apartment is decorated with, like, you know, paper lanterns. And it's they basically just shot a, an Asian stereotype cannon on the yeah. set. And it's like If there. you needed a primer for what an Asian stereotype is, this movie's got oh, it. Everything <laughs> you need. Because if he isn't do every time we cut to him, and we do cut to him often, yes, for no other reason than for the audience to laugh and laugh at the funny Japanese guy, it's always he's trying to make tea, or yeah, or he's in a bath, you know, traditional Japanese yeah. tea, or what they thought of a traditional Japanese tea, or he's yeah, he's in a bathtub. You know, or what are, what are some other Japanese stereotypes? He, you know, he's worked 22 hours a day and he's sleeping standing up. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's a stereotype or not. <laughs> he's married to a cartoon, an anime character. and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. All of you. He buys used ladies' underwears from a vending from a machine. Vending machine. And... <laughs> he's addicted to pachinko, you know. <laughs> just pumps quarters into that machine all night. Doesn't even care. Yeah. yeah. So that's him. He's That's who's up at the stereotype. And he yells at her, hey, excuse me, young lady, I am the very well-spoken Asian man that lives above you. I would very much appreciate it if you did not ring that bell and wake me up in the middle of the morning. Would that be all right? Yeah, and then just run that. That is not what he says. Run that through a racism filter. Okay, here we go. I'm running. I'm going to cram it through and <laughs> grind it through like a meat sausage grind. You lady, no, go for you. Wake me up so bad. Ooh, chop suey. Pretty much, yeah. Guys, I feel dirty doing He's... it, but it's in the goddamn movie. The character the, the character is the living embodiment of Chop Suey, if you think about it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so and she, yeah, he, he's mad because she woke him up and you say, stop waking me up so you can get in, you you woman. And then she attempts to, you woman. She attempts to put him off by saying, now, if you if you calm down, we can take those pictures that I mentioned. So she's sort of implicitly bribing him with the promise of letting him photograph her. Mm-hmm. And and so he's a pervert as well as all yeah, the other things. Yeah, because he gets all excited about that because... You know, he, he the white woman wants to pose for him. Yeah. Fuck me. Fuck. This is this is literally a minute and a half in. This this is it's not like oh he's buried somewhere deep inside. Oh no. He's like right there. He's in like the second scene in the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. Is. Um, so yeah. she's going upstairs with who? Some dude. Some guy from the party the night before, I guess. Yeah. Some middle aged dude. Some gross looking middle aged white guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he they sh- he mentions or she mentions. 
mentions that uh, he gave her he, he gave her fifty dollars for the powder room, and who else would do that yeah. for you? And she's like, whatever, piss off, goodbye. No, he goes in with her. And uh, oh, does he? Yeah, he does. I can't remember. It doesn't. Yeah. I mean, who ma- it, what, what does it matter? You're still from the, the racist stereotype up on the top floor. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm more. I'm distracted by something in this scene. I wonder what it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So and uh, and and then we we cut back uh, outside, and we see a cab pulling up, and it's uh, our it's our hero, mm-hmm. which is Paul Varjak, played by uh, George Pappard. By uh, you know Hannibal. two pieces of wood and a piece of string, <laughs> and a rubber band for a mouth. <laughs> am I saying that this person has no character and he's boring as mayonnaise? Yeah, I am. You are, and you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> and he stiffly, uh, stagehand stiffly animates the plank of wood going up the stairs with suit with the suitcase. Oh, yeah. And the marionette operator not- really needed to practice before they <laughs> knocks scene. on the door by banging the wood. <laughs> <laughs> dunk, this dunk, movie dunk. becomes a lot better if he really does become just a two by four. <laughs> Anyway, what's his fucking deal? Uh, well, he's moving into the building. He's just... Uh, Why? Because... <laughs> uh, yeah, who fucking knows? <laughs> because the script says he has to live there. Okay. Um, yeah. um, and and he, uh, he as, as we went through in our little opening skit, uh, he, he doesn't have... Uh, he, he had to ring Holly's room to get through the door because he didn't have a downstairs key, so she wakes up. And you know, buzzes him in, and then when he gets up to the to the to her floor, he kind of pokes his head in, and he's like, "Hey, sorry, I didn't give you my key." But, you know, yeah. And she's like, um, she's wearing the dude from the previous night's tuxedo shirt. Yeah, she's got a sleep mask that has eyes on yep. it and, that are closed, and she has tassel earplugs. That look make them look like earrings. Hey guys, guess what? Guess what she is, Steve. Guess, guess, guess oh, what she oh, is. Oh, she's she's a manic pixie dream girl. That's right. One of the first. She's the she's the prototype. <laughs> she yeah. She's she's like the floor model. Yeah. And people tested it out and went, hey, no, no. she has a little bit more problems than the typical Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Okay, yeah. guys, we got to explain this. Manic Pixie Dream Girl is a term that is used for a particular type of character that are used repeatedly in movies. Nowadays, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, um, usually there's a boring guy. Yeah. We got that in this movie. Oh, boy. And this Manic Pixie Dream Girl, for no apparent reason, falls in love with the boring guy. Yeah. And she teaches him life and love. Yeah. And, yeah, and let yeah. go and live your dream and exactly. blah, blah, blah. just picture Basically, picture Natalie yeah. Portman's character from Garden State. That's like a, Pic- a fairly yeah. good example. Picture blue haired what's her fucking name from <laughs> <laughs> I'm in such a bad mood, Steve. <laughs> blue haired what's her fucking name? <laughs> You know, the movie, the Edgar Wright movie, video games, fucking thing. <laughs> You know, the guy's got to fight all our ex-girlfriends. Oh, yeah, Scott Pilgrim, yeah. Scott Pilgrim yeah. and the end of the universe. Yeah. And, uh, yes, yes, she's, she's, she's a perfect example, yeah. She's another one, and this one's the prototype. So she, while she doesn't really perfectly fit that role, boy, she comes close because she's wacky. Yeah, she's quirky. 
Yeah. yeah. What kind of quirks does he discover about her? Because she lets him in to use her phone. Yeah, which he never actually does. Um, no, he doesn't. She has all these really weird kind of, you know, pseudo-philosophical ideas. Like, I don't get attached to things. Life would be boring if I got attached to things. And, oh, I have a cat, but I never named the cat because I don't have a right to name the cat because we don't belong to each other. He doesn't belong to me and I don't belong to him. So I'm never going to name the cat. And mm-hmm. um, I keep the phone in the suitcase I, because... Yeah. Yeah. It's loud. And my, my couch is half of a bathtub. Because I'm wacky. Because I'm kooky. I'm off And it looks like I just moved in, but I, I've been living here for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. Oops. I got to go meet um, a mob boss who I deliver messages to, so I'm going to get dressed while this guy continues to follow me into my bedroom and talk to me. Yeah. It's okay because I can't discern any emotion on his face at all whatsoever because apparently the actor can't emote. <laughs> <laughs> so what model of android are you? <laughs> <laughs> he could be a Twilight Zone character. It's the 60s. Um, but yeah, he helps her find her shoes, and she tells him about how, oh, I go to Sing Sing every week, and blah, blah, blah. And he's like... You meet a guy named Sally Tomato. Sally Tomato, yeah. And then someone pays her money to deliver the weather report that Sally Tomato gives her Yeah, to some dude, right? Yeah, except she doesn't see anything suspicious in this at all. No, of course not. Because she's too innocent. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get the whole thing about the mean reds, and then she tells us the whole thing about the movie, right, Steve? In which, oh, if I could only find a place like that made me feel like Tiffany's, then I would, because she loves Tiffany's, because she thinks it's so proud and and wonderful. And quite honestly, they show us the inside of Tiffany's later, and it's the most god-awful boring place you've ever seen in your entire goddamn life everybody <sighs> it's so goddamn boring in there but she loves it oh, she yeah. thinks it's perfect and if anything else in the world made her feel as good as tiffany's well then she would buy furniture move in and name the cat <sighs> foreshadowing yeah and it's so subtle too um because yeah, she's saying it to the boring jar of mayonnaise that she's gonna probably wind up marrying <laughs> At the end of this movie, yeah. So, oh, anyway, she yeah. says she look. He looks like he looks like her brother Fred. Yes, who is in the so army. She keeps calling. Yeah, you know, who's in the army? Nothing bad will happen to him in the army. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up about meeting Fred. I'll just say that. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, so she keeps calling him Fred. So from here on out, his name is Fred Mayonnaise. <laughs> so Fred Mayonnaise goes. Oh well, she's quirky, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then they go downstairs, and he, mm. he tries to hail her a cab, but the cab that stops is a cab that's oh, actually... by the way, she, she also keeps uh, lipstick, a mirror, and perfume <gasps> oh, in her mailbox. In her mailbox, yeah. Because she doesn't get mail, I guess. Yeah, sure. And the mailbox <laughs> is always unlocked, because uh, you know about her and keys, it's just the uh-huh. thing. Uh, Despite the fact that she gets mail, I think, on two separate occasions in this movie. Yes. The mailman just goes up the stairs and drops <laughs> in front of her door. I like to think he just flings the, the envelopes up the stairs. He's like, yeah. He's like, fuck you, lady. <laughs> Lock your mailbox. I keep telling you. My wife thinks I'm having an affair because I smell like your perfume. <laughs> my life is in shambles and you don't even care. I haven't seen my kids since you moved in here. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, Fucking free spirit. God yeah, damn you it. And your bullshit. <laughs> your beat poetry reading ass. <laughs> 
<laughs> so they go outside, and what happens? Uh, well, yeah, Paul flags down a cab, but it's a cab And he that- gets attacked by a cougar! <laughs> oh, he does, yes. It just so happens the cab that he was waving at was on its way to his building anyway, because the person who gets out is Tui, who is a, a, a woman, I guess she's she's supposed to be an older woman, but she's probably like a in her thirties. A handsome woman. A handsome older woman. A handsome woman. older woman. And uh, mm-hmm. he introduces her to Holly as his decorator. Yeah, she decorates his dick yeah, about she... once or twice a week <laughs> for money. <laughs> with her. Um, yeah, with her. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah and, if, and, you know, Holly kind of gives her a look like, mm, I wonder what's going on here. And then gets in the cab and drives off. She doesn't off. really care, it seems like. She just gets in the fucking cab and leaves. Yeah. Like, good. <laughs> I hope the movie's over soon. <sighs> uh, meanwhile, racism. This is one of those times where we, I'm just going to say that because we cut to Mickey Rooney being that. <laughs> yeah. Again, <laughs> for, no, for, for no reason. Uh-huh. Well, every time she buzzes him. Yeah. And this time, what happened was the guy that she brought home is too drunk and a little grabby. Yeah. And so she goes into her bedroom and locks the door. And I know this. The guy that she locks out is Mel Blanc. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's right. The voice of Bugs Bunny and pretty much every other cartoon character in the 50s and 60s. He was hired to say lines like this. Hey, baby, come back. We were just having a party. And, hey, baby, I want to get close to you and stick my penis inside your body. He should have. And stuff like, come on, let me choke you a bit. (laughs) He should have done it. Lady, where'd you go? He should have done it as Yosemite Sam. Get on out here, you <laughs> Take them little panties off. <laughs> oh. Come on now. You have three minutes before this cat goes in the garbage <laughs> oh my, disposal. Oh, my God. You made it even darker. Oh, Thank you. That's why we're a Thank good you. team. Um, <laughs> this movie brought it out of me. <laughs> Anyway, she's already... She's only wearing, like, a bathrobe, right? Yes. So, was she getting naked with Mr. Grab... With Mr. Mel Blanc? Uh, doesn't she... I, I think she keeps him in the hallway, doesn't she? I don't think he actually gets no, in, No, he's he? actually... He's actually... I think... Because she leaves out of her bedroom. Yeah. Oh, so maybe... And he's okay, in so her he's, living he's room. in the apartment. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I yeah. get confused about the layout of this <laughs> fucking apartment. Yeah, she, yeah, she, no yeah she closes the door of her bedroom. The only one that knows is the guy across... <laughs> <laughs> it's Jimmy Stewart with the binoculars. <laughs> oh, this is so hot. Can't believe it. Well, I hope, hope my leg never I hope those two kids get together. Uh, the fellow's kind of boring, but who, who am I to talk? <laughs> this is a lot better than that murder. <laughs> Speaking of which, oh, oh, where'd his wife go? Oh, that's weird. Huh. <laughs> uh... I'm starting to worry that my leg's never going to get better. Uh... Anyway, so yeah, she, so she she climbs out the window and goes up the fire escape. And what does she, she see? Because she's now oh, she's an eavesdropping eavesdropper, yes, she a is. creepy intrusive eavesdropper she, lady. She looks through the window into Paul's bedroom and she sees the older lady, two e, uh, walking in while Paul is asleep in the bed and naked. Yeah, Paul is naked under the covers, of He's course, naked. tastefully, tastefully covered. Um, Has no no clothes on. Oh. <laughs> Oh, naked George That is what the word naked means. Um, Yeah, and so he's asleep naked in the bed, and she, you know, kind of, you know, gives him a look and then takes some money out of her purse and puts some money on the table. Oh, (gasps) he's a prostitute. He's he's just a gigolo. Or or a kept man. He's a yes. That's yeah. That's the nice way to say it. He's a he's a kept man. Because I think it's also implied is that she has. 
bought all of the awful furniture that's in his... Yes. That's in his apartment. Yes, she has decorated his apartment, which... That's not decorating, looks, that's assault. It looks atrocious. That's a form of assault, dude. It's like... That off... It, it's like what a, what, a, what a rich hoarder's home would look like. It's just cluttered <laughs> with expensive crap. It looks like Donald Trump's attic. Yeah. Attic, not addict. Well, that's his, <laughs> that's his daughter. That's his, ooh, ooh, political humor. I love it. I've got a razor tongue yeah, today, yeah, folks. Yeah. I'm going after everybody. I don't care. This movie's done it to me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so she, Tui leaves. Yeah. And then she just crawls in the window. Yep. And he wakes up, and they have like a hard to heart yeah. kind of thing. Oh going yeah, on. she he tells her that he's a writer, but then it comes out that he hasn't actually published anything in like five years. Yeah, and then she tells him about how she left home at age fourteen, and she talks more mm-hmm. about her brother Fred. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, "I'm sleepy," and she climbs into bed with him. Can I climb into bed with you, naked man? We're just friends, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, and and uh, it turns out. You know, basically at this point, she gets money from guys that she basically goes out with middle-aged white guys to go to parties and stuff. And he is Fred Mayonnaise, (laughs) male prostitute. (laughs) Yes, that is the situation. So then he turns off the light, and then she has what I would like to call an out loud nightmare. Yeah, yeah, she talks (laughs) us through it, which is very helpful. So we you know, know what's the going only on. kind of the kind of nightmare that only happens in movies. Yeah, well, you, you know how it is in life, where you narrate your own nightmares out loud. That's as you right. Have them. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's like, "What's going on?" And she says, "I hate Snoops." Yep. And I'm like, "Who hates Snoopy?" <laughs> he's the only good part. He's of adorable. The- Come on. Who do you like, Charlie he's, Brown? He's a psychologically damaged dog that belongs to Charlie Brown, who thinks he's a World War One flying yeah, ace. That's an interesting character, Holly. I mean, shit. Jesus Christ! I know you're a cat person, but everybody loves How Snoopy. You not love Snoopy, and but and so she she fuck you and fuck this movie. Yeah, she's like, you asked me about something you heard me say in my sleep. You're bad, and and so, well, she wasn't that bad about it. No, but she's a little put off by it, and she she leaves. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so what, good riddance, crazy. Fucking. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. But then the next morning, he gets an invitation to go to a party at her place, right? Yeah. To make up for it. Yeah, she says, come down to my place for a drink around six. And doesn't she all, she mm. gives him a gift. She gives him a typewriter ribbon. Aw, yeah. because his typewriter didn't have a ribbon yeah, in it. Yeah, she's like some writer, you fucking liar. And he's like, well, that's all I need to write again? <laughs> I thought that once I ran out of ribbon, I couldn't write another story. <laughs> Anyway, hey guys, uh, typewriter was this machine that you would yeah. use to type on pieces of paper, and it needed an ink ribbon so that you the the keys, which were these. Oh boy, I'm just gonna explain. It. <laughs> it was it was like it was it was like a manual computer. Yeah, it was, it was word processor. It was like Microsoft Word, only you it you it was like like a caveman would do. It, it. was like you <laughs> type into a printer, and it puts the letters right on the paper. That's right. Yeah. It made it sound like. Like that. Yeah, exactly. And Tom Hanks really likes them. We're old. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what Tom Hanks likes. Do you? <laughs> I mean, I don't have anything particularly against him. I don't him. have anything against Tom Hanks. If he likes t- t- uh, typewriters, great. He's got enough money to waste on him. <laughs> yeah, I'm rich enough to like typewriters. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so he goes to the party, and it turns out everybody, everybody, every man in New York seems to be a middle-aged fairly plump white dude. Yep. And they're all in Holly's apartment. 
Yeah. Fire codes are being violated willy nilly. Yeah, and the and and so then he meets her agent. Yes, this would be the Martin Balsam character. Mm-hmm. OJ. And you're kinda like, Oh, I didn't know you needed to be an agent to go out with guys to cocktail parties. Oh, but that's not what happened, right, Steve? <laughs> no. What happened? <laughs> What did happen? I'm, uh, he met her in L.A. That's right. He Hollywood. ran into her in L.A. and then he set up an audition for her. Yeah, after he got her at elocution classes. Yeah, he, yeah then, this is where the French thing comes in. Yeah, she. And then on the day that she was supposed to have the screen test, she's called him and said, I'm in New York because I've never been in New York because she's a free spirit. Yep. And she follows her bliss or whatever the fuck it is. Not that she's a dingy nitwit. <laughs> Who basically ruined, wasted all this guy's money. <laughs> so he did what any real Hollywood agent would do. And instead uh-huh. of just saying, uh, okay, don't ever call me again, he flew to New York. <laughs> yeah, he flew to New York. And he says probably one of the most honest things in the movie, although I don't think he meant it this way. He says she's a phony, yep. but a real phony. Yeah. I agree with both of those <laughs> statements. She's a real phony. <laughs> she's a real phony. <laughs> she really believes all that phony stuff. Yeah. See, she's from Arkansas, Texas. Texas, yeah. Yeah. And so she had, a, I will never believe this, she had a southern accent. <clears throat> sure she did. And then, yeah. Anyway, he's there for something. Yeah. And then a lady's hat catches on fire. Yeah, but then someone spills a drink on it, which puts the fire. Oh, it's just hijinks. Yeah. It's just and wacky then hijinks. We see this guy who Holly wants to get to know so she can marry him for his fucking money. And he's like, if someone put a yellow crew cut on the Pillsbury Doughboy, <laughs> he has. I don't think he has a single line in the, in the fucking thing. No. But his name's. Uh, Rusty Trawlers. Yep. And he's the ninth richest man in America under 50. Yeah. Meanwhile, more racism. As Mick Rooney has a problem with all the noise, right? And he's like, oh, me gonna call police. Yeah. I feel bad, yeah, Steve. It's not, well, you should. But you know what? You know who didn't feel bad? Mickey Rooney. No. In fact, in later, in later interviews, he said, I didn't think it was bad. If I had thought it was bad for a minute, I never would have done it. Fuck you, Mickey you know, Rooney. Do you know what he also said? This is my favorite thing ever. He says, I never heard any complaints about it. You fucking liar. How dare yeah, you? He even said Japanese people came up yeah, and said it was really funny. Sure. No, they didn't. Yeah. And Steven no, Spielberg you know what they did? They were Mike being Myers polite. thank you card for Shrek. Right. They were being polite to the rich uh, American movie star. Yeah, yeah exactly. Fuck you, uh, Mickey Rooney. If you're not dead yet, I hope they buried you in a in a pine box that's too small. And that would have to be a pretty fucking oh, oh. small box. That's right. I'll make you... I, I do... Is he dead? He, I'll make, I'm, I'm going to give you some good news. He's dead. Thank Christ. I, oh, boy. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then a woman has a mirror freak out where one minute she's laughing at herself yeah. in the mirror. And the next moment, she's having a weeping fit because she sees herself in the mirror. And a bunch of other shit happens that's funny. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. And then, uh, oh, we all, we also meet Jose in this scene. He showed up oh, with, yeah, I think he, he showed up with Rusty and the woman who yeah. came with Rusty. And uh, and then the police actually do show up. You're skipping over some other oh, stuff. am I? Yeah, so he, Jose is a guy from Brazil. Yeah. And he's like, hello, I'm something, something, something. I'm Mr. Brazil. Yeah, he's very important. I'm Mr. South America. Yeah. 
And um, then we cut to some more stuff. Then another woman that's like Holly shows up, but she never got rid of her accent. And I can't remember what her name is. And then she gets super drunk. Yeah. And then she finishes her drink and then looks like she's going to fall. And instead of anyone saying, quick, she can hurt herself if she falls that way. Um, Holly yells timber and she falls directly over onto her face, breaking her nose <laughs> and everyone just kind of looks at her for a second. Shattering her front teeth, bleeding and, into the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the party starts back up and they trample her body with their dancing or something. Yeah. I don't know. And nobody cares because they're all rich and horrible. That's yeah. right. But um, then, okay, so then Mr. Yoshi Yamamami calls down. <laughs> And says, I'm going to call the police, and uh, Fred Mayonnaise hears that, yeah. and he comes back in, and he sees, he looks out the window, and it turns out that Holly has left with Rusty Trawlers, so she can give him a quick handy, uh, one of the grossest handies in, the, in an alleyway, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's not. it's best not to dwell on it. Yeah. No, I'm dwelling oh, on it. Can't, man. He's it's, gross. Uh, He's gross, and she's gross. I know. I know. I know. She's probably going to take a shot in the mouth uh, to try to get this guy's money. Uh, but meanwhile, they're talking to the cops that have shown up, right? Yes. And she points them up to her own apartment because she doesn't fucking care. No. Yeah, it's up. It's uh, second floor. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and this is Holly when, don't uh, care. This is when Fred Mayonnaise, he's like, uh oh, the cops are here. And so I'll he, grab Jose because he's a diplomat. Or yeah, Jose is like all nervous. He's a, they're not really going to call the police. And he's like, all right, come here, Jose. No, you have to understand. I must get back and start my own cocaine business. <laughs> I'm the same character. <laughs> yes. <laughs> From Scarface, that review you did like three years ago. Everybody will remember that joke. Any excuse for Jason to do his Transylvanian <laughs> voice, which he prefers over his own and wishes he could talk like that all the time. Oh, yes, yes. So Paul- It's not covering up the fact that he can barely do this accent, much less a South American one. <laughs> so Paul grabs Jose and he's like, come here, I got you. And they wa- they go through mm-hmm. Holly's bedroom and into the bathroom and they open the shower and there's Martin Balsam in there making out with one of the making girls Making out the party. with some lady, yeah. And, and they escape. Yeah. And everyone else gets arrested. Yep. And they all live happily ever after the end. <laughs> nope. We're not even no. halfway done with this fucking movie. No. The ne- and then the, ne- the next day, uh, we see Paul goes with Holly to, to Sing Sing to visit For Sally some Tomatoes. reason. Yeah. Why is he there? Yeah. I have no clue. Okay. So then we meet we meet uh, Sally Tomato. Yep. And, uh, seems like a nice guy. Huh? Yeah, he seems like a He okay. seems like a nice guy. Yeah, sure. And <laughs> then, uh... He's probably killed, like, 20 people. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. And then that scene's over. <clears throat> oh, and then he starts writing again. And then we hear something that we've already heard about 19 times so far. Yeah, huh? Oh, yeah. It's... Yeah, yeah it's an instrumental version. But now we're going to hear it as... <sighs> Holly sits in uh, on her windowsill. Yep. Convincingly playing a guitar. Mm-hmm. Oh, Totally. Singing what, Steve? That classic Mancini song that was actually introduced in this film that has been ringing in my head ever since I saw this film. Mm-hmm. I can't get, I just can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Moon River. Shall we sing it? Why? I mean, 
We might as well. It haunts me. <laughs> no, we're not going to sing it. it. Moon it River is me. an awful song that makes absolutely no sense, and it doesn't have it's, anything to yeah. do with the plot. It's somewhat mawkish. It's also the only song that I know of that has the line, and I have no idea why it's in there, Huckleberry Friend in it, which yeah, I think ruins the entire song. Yeah, because Mancini was like, I need one more line, and I'm done this motherfucker. And I a cartoon show was on, and he's like, <laughs> I don't think I can get away from here. Huckleberry Hound, that's it. Huckleberry friend. He's like, da, 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 da. That works, shit. That's it. That's it. Huckleberry. It's got the right number of syllables. Here's your song. I'm Mancini. It's over. <laughs> it's done. I have declared it finished. Put it in the movie. <laughs> anyway, it's one of those scenes where we're supposed to believe that this jar of mayonnaise, that has, this expressionless jar of mayonnaise, is starting to fall in love with Holly, right? Oh, yes. He's he's totally enchanted by her singing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, uh-oh, Mrs. Cougar has stopped by. Oh, yeah. And she's being tailed. Yeah, she says, she's like, hey, Barnaby Jones is outside. <laughs> he's been following me for hours. The original Tin Man is outside. Could you? The original Tin Man. Can you go... <laughs> You can find out what... No, she doesn't want him to go out. He's right. like, why? I'll find out what this guy's all about, right? Yeah, and then he goes out and he talks to him and they settle everything in a few minutes. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, we need to make this... The, the movie has to have a running time, Steve. Yes, so instead of going out and saying, hey, uh, what are you doing here? To the guy, which is Buddy Ebsen. Uh, he just walks outside and strolls down the sidewalk, and the guy follows. Just him. starts following him. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes to the park and he has some ice cream, and he uh, goes to the lake. Yeah. Um, and then he just wanders around, and then he finally sits down. The guy comes up and sits next to him, and it turns out that he isn't a private detective at all. He's nope. just a fifty-plus dude that wants his child bride back. Yeah, yeah, he's Doc Golightly. Yeah, his name's Doc Golightly, and he's a horse doctor, animals mostly. 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 <laughs> the odd mostly. human, if I could get one. Every once in a while, a woman who's in, you know, the way, but can't nary afford another child will go see Doc Golightly. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty good little side business. I don't want to do it too often, you understand. And the best part of it is, is that most of them are mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doc. I create my stamp. own business. <laughs> You're such a character. <laughs> Why? Oh, just a homespun old fella. Anyway, yeah. get this, um, Steve. So it turns out yeah. that Holly is from this little town in Texas, and that yeah. her and her brother ran away from home. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And they were stealing turkey eggs and hams from him. And so he brought them in and then fucked her and then said, we're going to get married. And his line is, she was going on 14. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the phrase going on 14 means that she was 13 13. years old. Yeah. Anyway, so the children, because he shows them a picture and she says, that's her, that's her brother, that's me, and those are our kids. And Mayonnaise is like, oh, she has children? And he's like, no, they're from my previous wife? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, she agrees to marry him because she has never been married before. Because remember, she's a free spirit. Yeah. Why wouldn't I get married to you, dog? Uh Uh-huh. And then apparently she just plum disappeared. Yeah. I wonder why she fled her forced marriage to a, now, a now, man old Steve, enough to be her they grandfather. they want to let us know that this relationship is perfectly fine. That's true, He's a yes. nice man who married a 13-year-old. He's, yes, I'm sure it was a completely healthy, consensual relationship. Some of his kids look older than her. Uh, yeah. 
Well, yeah, 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 he's not he's not a horrible child molester. He's no. a good man. He's, he's a, a good, good man. man. He's a good man that took her in. Yeah, and yeah. married her. Mm-hmm. So he's like, will you be a friend? Will you tell her that I'm here because I don't want to surprise her? So he's like, yeah, sure, why not? I don't have anything else to do. Oh, and at <laughs> that, by the, by the way, he was eating a box of Cracker Jacks. And yeah, oh, this is important. Yeah. This is important. And then he finds out that there is a prize in the box of Cracker Jacks, which turns out to be uh, a little toy soldier. No, I'm sorry. It turns out to be uh, uh, one of those wet press-ons uh, tattoos that you get all... No, wait. No, no, it was a miniature baseball card. <laughs> Nope, it was a ring, Steve. A and he's ring? Like, you want it? And Buddy Epson's like, I want my child bride back. And he's like, okay, I'll keep the ring, I guess. <laughs> and I'll help you get your child bride back. They go back to the... Just the kind yeah, of guy. I don't know. And it turns out her name is Lula May. Lula yeah. May Golightly. Oh. Sure. Sure it is. <laughs> they show... <laughs> he shows up. He goes upstairs. Knocks on the door. She answers the door. She's like, I don't have time for you or something. We can get a drink later. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, uh, you're Lula May. And she's like, where's Doc? And Doc comes up and he's like, I'm creepy. (laughs) (laughs) I've come to statutorily rape you some more. (laughs) Well, he can't now because she's. Oh, that's true. Because she's of age. You're you're, kind of old for me now. But (laughs) But we'll still do it. She runs up. He picks her up. They go into the bedroom to fuck. Yep. Yes, that's what happens. And the jar of mayonnaise just kind of wanders upstairs back to his apartment, right? Yep. <sighs> and now we get to watch the gold, gold digger fo- socialite break the heart of a pedophile. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who are we really supposed to feel bad for in this scenario? That scene is in this movie. <laughs> yes. 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 She tells Paul, she comes up to see Paul. And she's like, Hey, listen, can you come to the bus station with us? Because, because um, you would du- fade out completely from this movie. If you weren't included in scenes that you have no reason to be. <laughs> I'm, in. Going to, I'm going to arbitrarily invite you along on something that you have no business taking part in. Like because... that time that you went with me to sing, sing. Remember that? Yeah. You just kind of sat there, but at least you got to be there, right? Where Sally Tomato basically goes, you better marry that Goyle. You better <laughs> marry that Goyle, because I know, because I am a guy from the mafia. <laughs> Oops. I mean, I wish it would have been like, listen. There ain't no mafia, just forget I, I said I wanted that. him to grab him by the lapel and say, you hurt that little Goyle and you'll be fucking dead, you understand me? <laughs> they will never stop finding pieces of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sally, come on. Visiting time's over. I'm not done threatening this guy yet. But your lobster's right, arrived. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the, what's going on is is uh, she has told Doc that she's coming home with him. Mm-hmm. Except she's not. No. Nope. And she says to, to Mayonnaise Man, she says, look, Fred, um, I need you to come man. along. <laughs> it would be so much more interesting if he was a man made of mayonnaise, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Um, she says, look, I need you to come along because I you can be the one to tell him that I'm not coming, right? Yeah. Because he still thinks I'm coming along. And Paul's like, sure, that sounds like a completely appropriate thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so they so they go to the train station. And then when they get there, you know, Doc's uh-huh. like, well, that's our bus. Lula May, let's get on. And then she decides that she's going to tell him. And she tells Paul to fuck off. But yeah. the only reason Paul was there was so Paul could be the one to tell Doc to fuck off. So there's no reason for Paul to be there at all. 
Um, and then he, and he's like, okay, I guess. Oh, but I might lightly threaten you with Fred because Fred's going to come home very soon in like a month or something. Yeah, and if you're not there, I'm just going to tell Fred to get lost. Yeah. Yeah, so, she's um, like, Doc, got- I still like you for some reason. And she's <laughs> like crying when saying goodbye because I guess um, the, well, the guy who took your virginity at the age of 13 is someone that you really... I just can't do this. The she's only like, thing that could have made this worse is if, is if <laughs> Mickey Rooney was in this scene. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I come from marriage still means something. You get on bus. <laughs> oh, come on. You are a fucking no. whore. <laughs> what are you even doing here? Why are you even here? Blake Edward think this funniest character in movie. <laughs> oh, God. You're a oh. tiny Irish man. Stop it. <laughs> what you've done is wrong. Can't you see that? Um, yeah, no, so she, she finally, yeah, she gets Doc on the bus and he leaves and, um, mm-hmm. and then she goes back, she goes back over to Paul and she's like, let's go to a bar cause I want to get super drunk. Yeah. So her and Fred Mayonnaise go to a strip club. Yep. And we see a woman kind of strip. Sort of. Yeah. And she gets drunk and then he takes her back to the place. We get more racism cause they got a ring on the door. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, he, well, what happens the next day? Cause nothing happens. Well, he just, no, no. Well, she, isn't this, she's drunk and she tells him that she's going to marry Rusty Trawler. Oh, that's right. I'm going to marry Rusty Trawler for his money. And he's like, oh, great. Next morning he gets the letter saying he sold the story. Yeah. And then, oh, never mind, Cause Rusty Trawler just married somebody else. Ha ha. Ha ha ha. Your, your gold digging plan was thwarted. <laughs> And they're like, oh, darn, let's have a kooky day. Yeah. Where we go yeah. do things we've never done, right, Steve? Yeah, they're which gonna... is another another staple of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope, is that there has to be a kooky day where they go out on the town Julia and Roberts. do wacky things. She's a Manic Pixie Dream Girl who's also a prostitute. Totally, mm. totally, yeah, yeah. And they totally ripped off stuff from this movie. Oh, boy, <laughs> did they. <laughs> Oh boy, they did. Yep. Anyway, so it's like garbage eating garbage. That's great. <laughs> oh, I've never seen hot. garbage eat garbage before. <laughs> oh, oh, keep referencing better movies. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they have their kooky day out, mm-hmm. and they go. Uh, they 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 go to a library. No, first they go to Tiffany's. Oh, that's true. They go to Tiffany's, and this was actually shot on location at the real Tiffany's. Yeah, and so it's kind of like she said, "Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it marvelous?" And I'm like, nobody tell her about where the diamonds come from. Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> not that I think she would fucking care, but no yeah, one she... tell her where the majority of these diamonds came from. Okay. <laughs> Oh, how interesting. I like that one. Yeah. So um, we basically have an extended commercial for Tiffany's. Yep. Isn't it nice? And and, and Paul says, hey, I want to buy you something because that way you'll you'll have – I'll have more feeling of ownership over you if I That's buy right. you That's right. See, something. if I buy you things, that means you belong to me. And Yeah. Yeah. It's kind and, of like an unwritten contract. Yeah, exactly. It's how it works, as everybody knows. Yeah. And uh, so – but of course, he, he only has 10 bucks that he mm-hmm. can spend. And they're like, well, we're at Tiffany's. What can we get for ten bucks? So then they go to the counter. Yep. And that's where they. That's where we, we meet John MacGyver's character. Mm-hmm. MacGyver. And he's like, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh hello. And he's just like, oh, you can buy this phone dialer for ten dollars. And then he goes, oh wait a minute. 
I got this ring out of a Cracker Jack Fox from that pedophile that married you. How about we get this engraved? And he's like, at Tiffany's, we'll do anything because we're wonderful people. We're open 8.30 to 4.30, Monday through Friday, and 10 to 6 on Saturdays. And you know what? We have easy financing so that you could be paying us off for a $5,000 ring for the rest of your natural life. But just rest assured, know that when you have that glittery rock on your hand, that it is essentially worthless because we help control the diamond prices. And also, just think of all the South American people who died to bring it to you. <laughs> Tiffany's, we're a company soaked in blood. <laughs> That's mostly implied. <laughs> Most of that is implied in the actual film. Um, yeah, I, yeah. He basically he says, "Oh, we'd we'd love to engrave it for you." Instead of saying, "Get out, poor people." <laughs> You shouldn't even be allowed in here. That's right, because they're nice people at Tiffany's. Yeah, yeah, they don't care about money. He's actually seems to be, and here's the thing, his performance is maybe the best performance in the movie. Oh, yeah. Because when when he sees, he says it's reassuring to know that there are still gifts in Cracker Jack boxes. And I actually bought that line. It's like, he seems like he's some sort of human being. (laughs) (laughs) I have forgotten what that was. (laughs) I wonder what his life is like. <sighs> then they go to the library, yeah. and she doesn't know what it is. Yeah. Where are the books? Oh, they're right over there. She's like, what's this place? You're in a card catalog. Literally, if she just looked right, yeah. she would see books and people reading them. Yeah, yeah. Is this some sort of book retirement home? <laughs> Fred, what are these strange symbols on these papers? Those are letters, Holly. How <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> It's so nice that other people read. (laughs) Then they look up his book. Yep. They're going to check it out, but then he decides he's going to autograph it. Yeah. Then uh, the librarian goes, what are you doing? Ah. (laughs) And then they leave. defacing property. Yeah. Yeah. And now they decide, you know what's fun, Steve? Oh, oh, uh, petty theft? Yeah, petty theft. (laughs) Great. And now we have an overly long scene. Oh, God, it's like the scene takes as long as the entire movie. I know that's not possible. Jesus Christ. That's what it feels like. Yeah, they go into this 5 and 10 store. Yeah. And Holly's like, you ever steal stuff? That's a real rush. And he's like, sure, let's steal things. Uh Uh-huh. And they walk around the store for yeah. like eight fucking hours eight trying to hours. decide. People looking at them all the steal. time. Yeah. 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 And they finally pick up a mask and she gets a little kitty mask. Yeah. And he gets a little doggy mask. Yeah. And they get out and they run away. And <laughs> she turns to him and says, you ever murder people? <laughs> the purge is coming and we're all dressed up for it. <laughs> it only gets better from here. <laughs> so then... They run all the way back to the apartment laughing, right, Steve? Because that's what people in love do. They run and they laugh. Uh, All the time. And uh, then they they go inside and and he kisses her. And both of them have the keys. Yeah. That's funny. And then they they take the mask off and then they kiss because it would have been weird if they started kissing through the masks. Yeah, well, they they put the masks back on when they have sex. (laughs) They do because we cut to his apartment. Yeah. 
And he wakes up, but he's not naked this time. He's wearing pajamas. Mm-hmm. And he sees both, both the masks there. And I guess that implies that sex, sexy times happen, right? That I would imagine sex, so. That's, a, that's what I took from it, yeah. yeah that, that he and her made love, and she's so skinny and gross that she sounded like bamboo wimp chimes when he was... It's just, I don't... <laughs> It's so gross. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> no, clacking bamboo wind chimes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, this isn't working for me. It must sound like someone dropped a box of twigs down a staircase. <laughs> yeah. Anyway... Um, and what I'm saying is she's skinny. She has a, she doesn't have a lot of weight on her. That's, yeah. No. So then, um, what happens? Oh, the, well, then oh, his, his woman shows up, his cougar yeah. benefactor shows up. And he's like, I gotta dump you because I found true love. And she's like, okay. She takes it really well. In fact, not only does she not really get mad about it, she's got but she, nice she, she writes him, <laughs> she writes him a check for $1,000. Here's a thousand dollars. Never say anything to anyone or I'll fucking have you killed. Bye bye. I, <laughs> I am the motherfucker to do it. Yeah. <clears throat> so she leaves. Yeah. And he wants to go find her. And he goes, huh, where could she be? I know. She'll be in the place that she's never been to before and has no reason to be at now. And that's where she is. The library. She's, she's at the library. Yeah. And what is she doing? She's reading a big pile of books on South America. Why? Because she couldn't marry that rusty guy, so she's going to marry that other guy who came to her party. Jose, Mr. Brazil. Oh, no, but she yeah. belongs to Fred Mayonnaise. No, that's that's not how it works. Oh, and he's like, oh, so I'm just like any of those other guys. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, here's my check for $50, because that's how much money you got paid to go to the powder room. Not really quite sure how that works. Yeah, because... <laughs> If you don't want to be my girlfriend, then you're a whore. That's okay, the way so it works. Here's here's how that works, guys. In New York, in the upper things, when you went to the powder room, there was sometimes a person there that you gave money to, and sometimes you had to pay to use the toilet. But it was right. only like 25 cents. Right. So the guy would give her $50, and she'd keep the change. That's how she made her monies. Yes. So apparently the bathroom attendant had to make change for $50. Every so here, time. Here's your $49.75. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh-huh. So uh, she's getting up. She, she doesn't want to talk to him anymore because she's denying her love feelings. And he's got love feelings all over the place. And now yeah. his love feelings are hurt love feelings. And he's going to be bitter at me. And he's like, here's yeah. the check. This is what you get for going to the powder room because I'm just like all those other guys, those rats that you say or super rats or whatever she calls them. Yeah. Because these are people we want to spend time with. Anyway. <laughs> Um, what happens? So, um, well, she, she, she comes home from a date with Jose and there's a telegram. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's a telegram and she goes in and then she starts fucking up her room like Charles Foster Kane. <laughs> oh boy. She has a freak out. She's ripping up pillows and throwing shit and she's crying and Jose is like, this is not my scene. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he grabs Paul out of the hallway and he's like, I know she's kind of my girlfriend now, but you need to get in here and yeah, deal with take this. Care I'm not doing this. I don't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he goes in there and and calms her down and then reads the thing. And what does the thing say? Oh, poor Fred, the real Fred, her actual brother, has been killed in a training accident in Kansas. You know, nothing good ever happens in Kansas. In a Jeep accident, yeah. In a Jeep accident, yeah. The guy we never knew or ever met is dead, and we're supposed to... 
Garfield stuff. But, but she's really sad, though. Yeah, because remember, and we glossed over this, She's basically her big plan is to marry a guy who has enough money so she can buy land in Mexico so that they can have a horse ranch together. Yeah, yeah, she wants to take care of Fred. Because Fred's yeah. stupid. <laughs> anyway, um, so then we cut to, it's, because he, he says, Jose, that that's you have to go take care of this. Yeah. And Jose goes in the room, and then he leaves. And then he, what happens is he moves out, I guess? Yeah, apparently he, he yeah, Fred Manet's leaves. Yeah, and it's like months later. Yeah. When we come back. Yeah. And she's invited him over, right? Yeah, yeah, because she's getting ready to move to Brazil to be with Jose. Mm-hmm. But she invited and our apartment uh, looks Manny's different, right? Over. Yeah, it's been redecorated a little with like Brazilian stuff. Yeah, yeah, with Brazilian stuff, and she's knitting, and and then we have some kitchen hijinks. Yeah, where she's making a bomb on the stove. <laughs> yeah, she, the the pressure cooker explodes. She tosses a salad wrong, and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the thing on the stove explodes, and he goes, "Let's go out to eat," right? Yeah, and then they don't. I don't remember the meeting. Do you remember the no, meeting? No, I think they, they they go out somewhere, right? Because then they come back, mm-hmm. and, and when they and when they come back is when the cops are there and she gets arrested. Dun, dun, dun. Why is she getting arrested? Because she was totally passing coded messages back and forth to Sally Tomatoes in prison. All right, and then uh, Mr. Yashimoto's there going, "Finally, arrest her!" <sighs> and even the cops are like, "What are you doing, Can Mr. You Rooney? Tone it down, please. <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself." <laughs> White New York cops in the 60s are saying, World Please don't War II do that. Warner Brothers cartoons were less racist than what you're doing right now. Jerry Lewis just called and said he is very offended by what you're doing. <laughs> anyway, so now she's in court and um, she sees that lawyer guy again. And that's when we find out it's all about Sally Tomatoes. Yeah. And then that big bucket of mayonnaise calls OJ. Remember OJ? Yeah. And he's like, don't worry, I got it all figured out. And I'm having wacky problems with my bed that moves. It's wacky because it moves. And I've got a speakerphone. Isn't that wacky? And I'm like, please end movie. Please. Uh, Stop it. Just somebody kill somebody and let's get this over with. (laughs) I want a shooting spree ending. Now do it. (laughs) Anyway, so he comes and picks and what, okay, so OJ says, get all of her stuff together, take her to a hotel and have her sit quiet until this all blows over. She's not going to do anything. She's just going to testify in court, right? Right. And he's like, okay, gotcha, boss. And he goes back and he loads up the cat Puts the cat in a sack. Because <laughs> you know cats love that. And gets her, her banjo or whatever the fuck she was playing earlier. Comes, picks yeah. her up, right? Yep. They're in, they're in the cab. And they're driving to the hotel. And she's like, everything will be fine. I'm, I've am i got to catch a plane. And I changed my clothes right here in the back seat. Everything's cool. And no oh, good, you got my cat. And he's like, well, here's, uh, here's a letter. I got it from Jose and I read it. And he's like, I can't be with this person. I can't handle this scandal or something right yeah yeah he's like you i can't you're not my you're not my kind of woman thanks for the free pussy and all but i'm going back to brazil goodbye (laughs) bye yep and she's like well i don't care i'm going to brazil anyway and i'm gonna go down there and i'm gonna meet some other guy and i'm gonna marry him and i've never been to brazil isn't that great and now we get we get 
mansplaining 60s style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thick and spicy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Paul busts out his, you belong to me, Holly. Man, and she's you need like, to change your ways. Yeah, and she, she, you know, quite correctly says, no, I, I don't belong to you. <laughs> and he says, yes, you do. Yeah, and then and, he, yeah. she goes, no, I don't. Watch. And then he that makes the guy pull over, and he, she literally lets the cat out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she does. And and, uh, and just to, you know, uh, to reinforce what a likable, sympathetic character she mm-hmm. is, it's it's raining. Yeah. And she kicks the cat out of the cab into the rain. Yeah. And we even get we even get one final reaction shot of, of the, the cat. cat. Miserable. And, wet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> gripping gripping the bars of a uh, of a, a little mini fence like they're prison yeah. bars yeah, as they drive yeah. away. The end. No. No. <laughs> Not so, quite. So um, then more mansplaining. Yep. And she's like, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. You And he's like, here, I want you to have this because I don't need it anymore. And it's the ring. And he got it engaged. Remember that thing? Yeah. And he's like, goodbye. And he they pull over and he gets out and he's going to go find the cat. And then she sits there and then she goes, oh, wait, he's right about everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid to love because I don't want to get trapped. And it's not. A, he said that love isn't a trap. It's when two people and I want to belong to him. And yeah, I'm going to go find him. And she symbolically puts the ring on her wedding ring finger. And she goes out in the rain. And she runs up and they're looking for the cat now. They're both looking for the cat. Oh, my God, Steve, are they going to find the cat? I, I bet that they're not. I bet they're just going to keep looking and then they're going <laughs> to give up and go pneumonia. home. Yeah. No, they find the fucking cat. Yeah. And finally, I say, well, first I say, all your stuff is in that cab that you just ran away from. And. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and it also turns out that Joe Mayonnaise has been writing articles for, like, The New Yorker and a bunch of other shit, right? He's been working. Yeah. And then she finds a cat. And she picks up the cat. And now a chorus is singing Moon River. One of those early 60s all-women choruses. Or or mostly women choruses. And then they come real close together. And then they kiss. Yeah. And now they'll be in love forever or something. The but end. the most Im- <laughs> the, the most important thing to us is it's the end of the yeah, movie. Yeah, that is the best part. The movie is over. Cut to black. The end. <laughs> so, Steve? Uh-huh. Steve? Yeah, man. Let's make this short. <laughs> okay. Okay. You got it. What did you think of this classic romantic comedy, Breakfast at Tiffany's? I'm glad the cat's okay. That cat is long dead by now, Steve. Yeah, I know, but, you know. Um, it will probably be better off on the street, actually, <laughs> than living with these people. Um, <laughs> um, well, here's the thing, right? We talked about a lot of the problems in the movie already. We talked about the just appalling racism of the Mickey Rooney character. Yeah. We talked about how boring the main characters are and yes. how they're just not very nice people in nope. a lot of ways. Um, but there's one thing that even if those flaws were not present or were not as as unavoidable um there's one problem that the movie has that i think would still render it a bad movie and that is the fact that never for a moment at any point in this movie do you ever feel any sense of stakes or peril 
for anything that happens to these people. Nope. Um, to the point where even when Holly gets arrested near the end, instead of having any kind of suspense or any kind of, oh, what's going to happen? What's she going to do now? How is Paul? Or, yeah, Paul immediately calls OJ, who just magically fixes everything. Mm Mm-hmm. There's no consequence to anything that happens. These are these two characters are supposedly poor. Yeah. They're movie poor. They're kept. They're you know Holly gets money from her rich suitors and Paul gets money from his uh, sugar mama. Mm-hmm. But they're supposedly poor, and yet the only time we ever see them even slightly affected by their supposed poverty is when they can only afford to spend $10 at Tiffany's. Yeah. And that and that becomes the, the impetus for this charming little scene where mm-hmm. he says, oh, let's get the Cracker Jack ring engraved. There's just no sense of consequence or, or, or stakes or, or any kind of reality mm-hmm. or tension. or there's there, Nothing in the movie seems to matter or have any kind of a point at all. Nope. And, and anytime anything that looks like it might be kind of a bad, threatening thing happens, happens it's immediately washed away usually in the very next scene yeah so there's no reason to because you know the characters can never actually be threatened or hurt there's Mm -hmm. no reason to root for them because they're not actually underdogs they're not actually facing any sort of trial or any sort of test or Mm -hmm. challenge even when bad things happen they just sort of sort themselves out and so nothing that happens in the movie has any importance or matters at all and that even more i think even more fundamentally than the awful rooney characterization or the miscast actors or the fact that the characters are just kind of dull or that the plot doesn't really go anywhere and nothing really even happens and you find yourself at the end of the movie wondering what was even the point of this? Why did I even watch this? Um, The fact that nothing in the movie even matters to the characters that it happens to. It just kills any any possible chance that I would give a shit about anything that happens in this movie. Because there's no suspense. There's no. There's n- there's never a moment where I think, "Gee, I wonder if they're going to be okay." Of course, they're going to be okay. They're yeah. never threatened for a moment. Um, so, are you yeah, really that worried is... that they're not going to get together? Yeah, come on. Do I you mean... even care? No, exactly. The I honestly, and this this is this is the absolute truth the only thing i cared about in the movie was that poor cat at the very end because i know that the cat looked miserable because they had to make it wet when they had to shoot this scene and that was more me actually feeling empathy for the actual animal that they used to film the scene not the character of the cat in the movie because yeah they're even like you you know they're gonna find the cat you know the cat's gonna be okay so the only emotional response that this movie was was able to evoke in me other than just disgust at the the Andy the, the Mickey Rooney character um was oh that poor cat so no to to make a long story short i don't think it's a good movie i think it's a, a pointless boring movie that uh has a, a very fundamental flaw in in its screenplay that that would kill it even if it didn't have these other flaws which is that nothing that happens in it matters and its characters never seem like they have any stake in anything that mm-hmm. happens so so no i, I no sir i don't like it so okay my turn Do hey it. guys i think we know each other pretty well by now so, what's my biggest complaint when it comes to a romantic comedy? <laughs> they're seldom romantic, and they're never funny. And yeah. I didn't laugh once, not once, no. not even a little bit at all, during this quote-unquote comedy. Now, if it's not funny, that's a matter of... Maybe you guys will like the sense of humor of weird pratfalls or really just pedestrian jokes. 
I think at the time, most people did not realize that a lot of the lines that were being spoken by not only just Holly, but by also by Fred, um, were basically straight Truman Capote. Yeah. If it was Truman Capote delivering a monologue using the same the same lines, it may be humorous, at least very dry. Yeah. And then again, we're talking about an extraordinarily... Unique gay man <laughs> who had a very affected way of talking and presenting himself. I couldn't help but keep hearing the lines of this in his voice as they were talking. And then I realized everybody in the movie talks like this. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> so eh, I don't find it funny. So there's strike one. I sure as fuck don't find it romantic. I don't find it romantic at all. Just because some, you know, light fixture with a face on it has fallen in love with some quote-unquote quirky girl. But the only way I know that is because the music is telling me and because he has to say it out loud. Yeah. I don't find that romantic, nor do I find the entire situation romantic. In fact, this is a relationship that is doomed to fail. Like doomed. Like... <laughs> He is infatuated with the wrong woman, and she ain't gonna change. <laughs> More than likely, three weeks after their kiss in in the alleyway, he's gonna come home, she's gonna be gone, he's gonna kill himself, I guess, because they're only meant for each other, because that is the overall message of the movie at the end of this, is that people belong to each other because they're meant to be together, because fate or God or some bullshit, I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> but as just as a film, just as an entertaining film, it's not. The characters are shallow. Yeah. They're extraordinarily shallow. Just because she has a brother that she wants to take care of, and she gets upset, and when he dies, it's that is not character development. That's just shit that happens in the movie. And now she's got to act upset. At no point do we spend any real time with her to find out what she really wants, what she's afraid of. Nothing, as Steve said, nothing really impacts her. Yeah. She gets arrested. We cut to the jailhouse. She's just sitting there, casually smoking her her cigarette in its holder, while holding court with the press, and everything's fine because nothing's impacting her. And the only time we actually see something impact her a little bit is when she, afterwards in the cab when she finds out that Jose no longer is interested in what's between her legs because of the scandal, and she stops for a minute. Then she goes, "Okay, well I'm just going to go to Brazil anyway, and I'm gonna go get him." But that's about as close as we get. We get a little tiny part where she's looking like she might be conflicted because she, I guess, she loves Fred. <laughs> and she's going to go chasing after him and go get him. That's a refreshing change. Usually it's the guy that has to go chase after the girl, right, Steve? Yeah, but, you know, because, Yeah, whatever <laughs> the fuck it is. But I don't care about any of the characters. None of the side characters yeah. are developed to the point which I'd actually like them. The only interesting one was perhaps 2E, and we never find out why she's doing what she's doing. We never find out why they're together. In fact, we don't find out jack shit about, about Fred Mayonnaise. Other than no. he's a writer, we don't find out really how he got involved with this woman, how this woman started paying all of his bills, how he became a kept man, and why he's allowing it to happen. Other than he hasn't written a book in a little while, and now he's got his pixie muse as a here and bought him a typewriter ribbon. He's found his typing again. I hate it. 
hate it. <laughs> I hate these kinds of movies that kind of use trappings of a character as an excuse as an excuse to not create actually create real characters. Real mm-hmm. characters that have real desires. If they hadn't if they just changed a little bit as to why, you know, why does she want this life? Why is it so important to her? Even after her Fred her real Fred brother is dead, she's still going after that, right? That's still yeah. something that she wants, right? Why? Yeah. Why did she even want it in the first place why is she the way she is it can't be because she's a runaway is it when i walk away from a movie and i'm left wondering why about everything especially (laughs) about the characters it means the movie didn't do its job it doesn't mean that they have to tell me directly but they can at least indicate through the, the character's behavior or their character's reactions to certain things that i understand their motivations and i don't understand anybody's motivations in this movie so yeah fuck it fuck it fuck you fuck you Fuck your movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I this movie is kind of, it's not as famous as it used to be, but boy, oh boy, you could not escape Moon River. And that's oh. the most close, that's probably the most famous thing from the film at this point. And thankfully, Blake Edwards put one of the most, one of the worst racist stereotypes in the movie and then included him at a critical point in the film so that we can't edit him out for future generations. He's stuck in there. And guess what? This is guaranteeing that it is not getting played on TV anymore. It's not getting played anywhere. And if you can't get played on TV, you die. (laughs) I know that we're moving out of the TV era, but this TV is usually how people discover stuff. And this is also, through the internet, how people recommend things. Yeah. And if uh, Mickey Rooney's in there, <laughs> you're not really... You can recommend it. You can say, oh, yeah, I see this movie. It's really boring, and none of the people are real, and there's a racist stereotype in it, but you <laughs> should probably watch it because you hate yourself, and you don't want to spend an afternoon doing something pleasant. <laughs> or maybe your, your grandmother is visiting. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. But I don't, I don't, no, not a classic. Steve, not a classic, not a oh, classic. not. Three not, not a classics. <laughs> I'm getting two votes. <laughs> I'm also stealing the Orange Whip line for Blues Brothers. Anyway, so. <laughs> orange Whip, Orange Whip, three Orange Whip. Don't know why, this is what's in my head now. <laughs> You've gone to a different place. Movie lines. A better Movie place. lines in my head. <laughs> anyway, so Steve, recommend a movie that you want people to see. Oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm going to recommend an- actually another Audrey Hepburn movie. Um, and I- <laughs> what is who Audrey Hepburn as Audrey Hepburn in? Yeah, she she had a range, a narrow range. She had an Audrey uh, Hepburn shaped range. <laughs> um, it's it's a, a, the movie I'm going to recommend. Honestly, is not one of my favorite films, uh, but I do think it's a much better film than the one we just got done reviewing. Uh, I, I in an earlier episode, I recommended. I think it was actually it might have been our our last Valentine's themed episode. I, I recommended another Audrey Hepburn movie that actually is one of my favorite it films, did. which is which is Roman Holiday. So I can't recommend that again. Where another fourteen year old girl has an affair with a fifty year old man. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Okay, she's not so, 14 and he's not no, 50, but you get no. it. No. And, I mean, it's Gregory Peck, so come on. Uh-huh. The Wait, walls you of were saying I was 35 when you were born? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? I don't know why, but I'm more attracted to you now than ever. Same voice for Darth um, Vader. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the movie, okay, the movie I'm recommending is from 1954, starring uh, Audrey Hepburn and also starring William Holden and Humphrey Bogart, directed by Billy Wilder. It is Sabrina. Oh, Sabrina. Um, yes, it is. I Like I say, it's, it's not one of my favorite films. It's not even my favorite Billy Wilder film, well. but it is a great improvement over... Uh, uh, breakfast at tiffany's it's another story that it's basically about rich people who can't figure out what, that they're in love with each other until yeah. the very end of the movie yeah but who's has, in love with who in this one uh well at, at first it's audrey hepburn in love with william holden but then it's audrey hepburn in love with humphrey bogart and uh-huh. then it's humphrey bogart in love with audrey hepburn yeah uh, how yeah. old is humphrey bogart in the movie oh he's like uh, 86 and how old is she like 12 <laughs> She's quite yeah. There is there does seem to be a theme emerging, doesn't there? That you a, think? a very a young Audrey Hepburn lusted after by a much older man who she ends up with in the end. Um, but but yeah, it's not going to bring up the age of Lauren Bacall when they got together. <laughs> she was. <laughs> She was, she was seventeen years old. Steve. She was uh, she, she was, was on seventeen a, years old, Steve. <laughs> she was she was on a tour with the rest of her elementary school class Stop at it. the studio. Oh lot. boy! Bogart said, "Who's that?" With a little grooming, she'll be yeah. perfect. You know, she'll be legal in about seven years. <laughs> uh, no, so. Sabrina is a, a, it's standard uh, lightweight romantic comedy fare, uh, but it's much more it, it's pulled off with a lot more style and a lot more wit than the movie we just got done watching. So it's it's never going to be in one of my like top ten or it's probably not even in my top five hundred. But it's much better than the movie we just reviewed. So if you want to watch a much better romantic comedy from roughly this same era of Hollywood, I would recommend that you check out the original Sabrina. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, you know me, I like recommend. A movie from the same year of the movie that was, uh, from the same year of the movie uh-huh. that we just reviewed. It's 1961, and if you guys watch this movie because I told you to, I'm gonna give you a movie to watch. This is actually good. Yo, Jimbo, go watch it. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> oh, that's such a good movie too, isn't it? <laughs> and it's so different. So if you want to wash this movie off of every part of you, it's Boy. like basically, it's like a cleansing fire that will destroy everything that this movie polluted. Watch oh. it, Jimbo. Just, I don't even want to tell you what it, it's, Akira Kurosawa, come on. <laughs> oh, one of the, one of the great action films ever. Uh-huh. And it's, yeah. <laughs> it has Toshiro Mifune in it and Tatsuya, not, uh, I can't ever remember how to pronounce his last name, Naka, Nakadai? I can't remember. Yeah, something like that. You're All cool. the old standbys. <laughs> <laughs> the, the classic Kurosawa company. <laughs> Just fucking see it. You know what's funny is when I was looking it up, it's classified as a comedy. Wow. Can you explain that to me? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I always picture, I think of it as like a very lean action movie. Yeah, but I guess it's a comedy. I think I, so. <laughs> Those Japanese people are just hilarious. Maybe the Japanese think it's a comedy and they're like, they're what? Americans think it's serious? Like a- They take this, really? <laughs> Toshiro Mifune is like our Charlie Chaplin, guys. <laughs> like, we, he cracks us up. What is your... <laughs> uh... It's I how I can't I mean I've already done this twice I did it with Throne of Blood too yeah I, there's nothing I can say I mean just it's an Akira Kurosawa film and if you haven't become f- at least familiar with his films yet please go do it please it makes our jobs easier I I feel <laughs> stupid having to sell Akira Kurosawa films that's yeah they're good <laughs> they're fucking awesome <laughs> they're good and you should see them. <laughs> uh... 
So that's it, Steve. Mm-hmm. Another one bites the dust. Yep. Another you know, one bites the dust. Hey, hey. <laughs> that's all uh, we can sing. I can't afford that song. Yeah, we we didn't get clearance for that. No. Um, you want to do this again? Never. At some point in the near future. <laughs> yeah. This you is mean the last watch this episode, movie folks. again? No. No, not not this actual episode. But maybe we'll pick a new movie and we'll do another one. Steve, can I? Yeah? Can we have a sit down real quick? Yeah, on, sure, man. On air. Yeah, please. Steve, we haven't really watched a good movie in a really long time, have we? What was the it's, last good movie we saw? Oh man, it feels like it's been a long time. I can't even before remember. Before this was Shrek. Movie. What was before Shrek? Oh yeah, what was before Shrek? I don't know. Oh, this is it's, weird. We've just we've been lost. We've been in a dark place. <laughs> I don't know anymore, Steve. I want to. I want to watch something good. Can we okay. watch something that has a reputation? Well, everything we watch almost has a reputation for being good, right? Well, we should watch a movie maybe made by by a director who has a certain reputation oh, for making. Yeah. So who who do you films. want to do? Come on, Steve, tell me. Come on, I don't want to make well, decisions you, anymore. You know do what? It. Well, hey, you just you know you you just mentioned uh, Kurosawa, and there's yeah. another favorite director of mine whose name also starts with a K. Um, a little different than Kurosawa. I'm thinking of uh, Stanley Kubrick. Oh yeah, he's made some yeah. good movies. He has, yeah. Okay, so what are we? What, 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 oh no, no. What you want to you want to review 2001? Don't you? We could. I mean, I'm just putting it out there. All right, fine. Let's we watch could. 2001. We'll watch it and we'll review it and we'll do it. 2001, ready? Yeah. Do it. We'll do it. Two, okay. I mean, it's got monkeys in it. <laughs> Monkey, monkeys are fun. It's got monkeys and spaceships. That's what yeah, the original on. name of the movie was called. <laughs> got... Monkeys and spaceships. From the director of Dr. Strangelove, Stanley Kubrick's Monkeys yeah, and Spaceships. Yeah, I want $22 million to make my monkeys and spaceships movie. <laughs> And the well, ending's not going to make any sense. Nobody's going to get it. Look, this gimbal is going to cost uh, like half the budget. So, uh... <laughs> by the way, I had to invent entirely new kinds of cameras. I hope that's okay. <laughs> no, by the way, what I do on this movie is going to be imitated by other directors who are going to try to legitimize their awful films because they develop new technology for them. <laughs> and after this, I'm only going to make like a movie every five years. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I see you biting my style, James Cameron. I see you trying, but boy, your movies are shit. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do it, don't do it, Jimmy. That's all I'm going to say. You can't do it, don't do it. <sighs> all right. We're going to watch yeah. 2001. Arguably, th- well, okay. Used to be, it had this title for about seven years. The most famous sci-fi movie ever made. Yeah, and then another movie came along. And said, fuck you. Kind of supplanted <laughs> it in the public consciousness. Hey, yeah. kids, wake up. There's a new kind of movie. <laughs> Stop taking acid and seeing this one, and you can just have a good time not loaded. <laughs> Smoke pot and see this one. <laughs> all right, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah. If you guys want to get all the jokes, then please... Pop in that sleeping pill. I mean, pop in that movie. <laughs> Chug some Red Bull beforehand. Watch it as soon as you get up. Take a shower first. There, there are a few slow patches you'll have to you get through. Don't eat a big breakfast. <laughs> Remember, you can pause there it and come back to it later. There are a few slow patches. Remember, you can pause it and come back to it later if you have to. That's right. The movie that is only 20 minutes long if you hit fast forward. <laughs> and I mean, like times six. Like you yeah, really have to you push have to put it out all the like way. six. Yeah. And you won't lose any of the plot. But uh, yeah, just just pay attention. Just watch the screen the whole time. You'll get most right. of it. Go out and watch 2001: A Space Odyssey. We're gonna do it. <laughs> 
You want to be cool like us, don't you? That's right. Yeah. All right, that's it. Yay! Fuck you. <laughs> Goodbye, Valentine's Day. <laughs> See you next year when we find something equally as bad to review. <sighs> Anyway, for late seating, this has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. Promise me one thing. What? Don't take me home until I'm drunk. Very drunk indeed. Okay, I won't. I'll. I promise. I will not take you. Can I? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. How yeah. drunk? I need to know because th- there's like consent involved. Um, when I take you home, is it okay mm-hmm. if we like have sex? If you're really drunk, is that the implication of what you said? Very drunk indeed. Okay, no, that doesn't work. I need like a clear yes or no. All I'm saying is, I want you to not take me home yes. until I am very drunk indeed. Now, Could... you're going to have to take me home, which means you can't yes. drink. So you're going to have to stay sober while yeah, I, I get drunker and drunker and drunker. Yeah. That's the that that's the arrangement I'm proposing. Okay, but then when I get you home, mm-hmm. do I have consent? Can you write it down on this piece of paper? <laughs> You know what? I'm Please. already kind of. I'm already kind of drunk. I don't think I could write. I, ignore the writing that says that by signing this, you belong to me. <laughs> oh, that's that should be alarming, but I don't really care because we love each other, and that means well, I love you. That means you belong to me. But if I put my penis in you, that means mm-hmm. you're property. Now sign it. <laughs> you know, Buddy Ebsen has had this, right? I don't care. <laughs> You're the scarecrow of my dreams. You really are. You're like, you're like someone took the clothes off a puppet. <laughs> you want me to show you my ribcage xylophone trick? I've seen stick figures with more meat on you, and that really floats my boat. <sighs> Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemme Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Lemme Listen. And thanks for listening.